Hello, people. Welcome to Techno Social. If you like what we're doing, then please consider liking us on YouTube and on your podcast provider, sharing our content round, and generally telling people about it. And maybe even consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash techno social. Do you have a sense of within, you know, you've mentioned you want to be taking the Emerge podcast towards looking at personal development perhaps more. Do you have a sense of like anywhere that is particularly fruitful, any directions that like you, you really want to go in? Hmm. Well, so I, I, I mentioned this earlier. I have been using this four facet model from Integral, which we could explore um, to at least start the orientation of many of these conversations that I'm having. Um, it, and I'm a, trying to not have too many assumptions as I go into the conversations that I'm having. Uh, you know, where I would like it to go is to feel confident in producing an ecology of practices with an associated ethos that can actually do what we're talking about, right? Like take somebody from a, a kind of trapped liberal humanist human to a liberated servant of life. And how to do that? I have some suspicions, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't yet know. I don't, think that, I don't think that anybody yet knows. I think that we're all figuring this out together because the context is quite different now than it, than it once was when a lot of these practices were originally developed. And so they have to kind of evolve or adjust, I think, given that new context, that new culture, that new, and that new, that new challenge of uninstalling liberal humanism, which is one of the most powerful and pervasive ideologies or metaphysics that the world has ever seen. You know, yeah. it's constant, and it's constantly being uh, rewoven into our psyches through all of the systems that, that we participate in. Is there a mirroring, an echoing of them? Yeah. Do you think it's possible to do that rewiring without some significant period in, say, the darkness or confusion? I mean, I just, I wonder, I mean, I guess so, I... I think from my own life, part of why I've wound up here where we are having these conversations mm. is because I grew up and from about the age I started thinking about things, I could sense that something was off. But I think that was more because my parents were deeply unhappy with one another. Mm. And I could mm. my sense of the adult world was like, well, that looks like it really sucks. But they constantly told me the you got to go to school and get a good degree so you can get a good job and then you can have a good adult life. And I was like, well, if that's the path, it looks <laughs> shit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, that took me down such a big, yeah. complex, painful rabbit hole. And I finally yeah. feel like I found my way out the other side, but I was like, Oh, I'm not mental actually. Mm. Like mm. there is, 
a world of people who are thinking beyond that liberal humanist capitalist world of status and wealth acquisition. Mm. But yeah, to go back to my original question, it's like if if there is a sense that unplugging from that is what is needed, there's a question is like, how do we facilitate that in the most stress-free way? That's not the right mm. word. Mm. But, hmm. Yeah, I'm, curi- I'm curious, like what's underneath that question? Like why, 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 why ought we do it in a stress-free way? Or I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just curious to mm. pull a little bit more out of it. Maybe because because part of me is still averse to pain and it's like mm. if I don't want other people to go through pain and maybe that's actually just reflection more of me than it is of the process. Well, I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think it's not just you who hates, who doesn't like pain. You know, it's like, it's very, I, well, so, um, I love people who are trying to make this path if we call it this path, knowing that it's not one path, it's probably very many different paths, but like, let's say human transformation, more available, efficacious, safe, easeful. You know, I am uh, somebody whose work I'm quite familiar with is this teacher Shinzen Young. I don't know if you're familiar with Shinzen Young. I know the name, but I don't really know. Yeah, he's a really cool, cool dude. He's done a lot of work to sort of, um, bring science and deep contemplative practice together, right? So he's created a whole pedagogy of contemplative practice. that's like very clear, very rigorous with like very strict definitions and it works really well. And now he's working um, on a low frequency ultrasound device, which if I'm remembering correctly, it targets the basal ganglia, which they think is kind of connected to a cluster of networks which are, which deactivate upon awakening upon enlightenment. And so one thing is we've discovered over the past 15 years or something like that is that awakening is more about the deactivation of regions of the brain rather than like something new coming online. And so using this device that you attach to your head, you kind of uh, ping this part of your brain with ultrasound waves and it can turn off and people report being bumped into just through this process, like long periods of non-dual experience. Right, where the world appears completely new to them, like the shedding of the personal self and so on, you know, classical mystical experiences. Um, not, not so different than psychedelics and things like that. And so, you know, does it have to be hard? I think it probably should be hard. Mm. I think it probably, there's a degree to which it ought to be hard. I think that builds like a degree of like character and willingness to do the hard thing. I think that's one of the things that I am, most grateful for what the monastic academy has given me is like this kind of quality of being where i will just do what needs to be done regardless of how i feel right and one of the i think uh assumptions or consequences of liberal humanism is this sense that how i feel matters and perhaps it matters like the most like that that's the most important thing i don't want to be trapped in that way and in order to escape that, there is a degree, I think, of discomfort required. You have to be able to go beyond feeling good. And I, I appreciate that. And I, I suspect that might be one of the core components of a pedagogy that kind of can really take people towards a robust freedom and capacity to serve. 
But also, like, we should, I mean, my opinion, we should leverage psychedelics, we should leverage contemplative technology, we should leverage whatever we can to accelerate this stuff and make it more available and less painful. Because, man, taking, I mean, I feel like I'm just getting started. I've been on this path for, like, 12 years and you know it's like thousands of hours of silent practice and a lot of that has been deeply fundamentally unpleasant you know it's just like it can't that can't be the way it is for everybody Mm. we don't have time for that well that brings me to something i was thinking as you were speaking which is that if a degree of transformation is going to be necessary to bring us forwards but, and this is a big but, but it may happen if we go through some kind of seriously shitty social breakdowns at the same time. We end up with this like fork. It's like, does the collapse push more people in, well, perhaps into this, what we might call that like liminal dark night of the soul type space from which they can grow? Or will it just put us back into every man for his style tribal survival? Yeah. And then there's work that needs to be done just to build back to that baseline that we have now, which is a kind of perhaps existential discomfort, but material comfort that allows us to explore existential discomfort. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and for me, um, uh, and this is something I went to a workshop with this person, this amazing person, Joe Brewer, he did a workshop on planetary collapse. And so he's been studying you know, what, what, what happens when systems collapse and how do we understand this? Well, I mean, he, he's very he, firm. You know, we are in the midst of a planetary collapse and that unraveling of the system, you know, it doesn't look like we expect it to when we see movies about how shit goes down, right? It's like this sort of fraying of the various fabrics that hold everything together, punctuated by crisis. And his, his sense is that one of the reasons we train is so that when something does, something very fundamental does break, there are those of us who are available to step into those crises in a way that does shift us towards a greater sense of coherence and togetherness. Like it's when shit hits the fan that we get, that, that there's an opportunity there, right? That's when heroes come forth, right? And so I think that can also be an accelerant, right? Like that could, that could be a time when people burst forth out of the kind of confusion and we might say sleepwalking of the dominant paradigm. As long as there are actors, agents available to kind of be present, to not completely lose their shit, to be emotionally available and like skillful and mature and, and willing to do that and I mean that's a lot of the reason or you know that possible future is a lot of the reason that I do my training so that I can come you know to be quite personal like I'm, I'm here uh, at my mom's house in upstate New York right now I'm not at the monastery but I, I see one possible future I imagine a possible future where social structures do start to break down and that I could come back to my hometown and play a role of kind of consciousness and uh, wisdom and clarity and energy and kindness and support people in navigating this transition in a way that makes everything work better for everybody than it could have if I wasn't here. Like that's very, um, 
that feels really good, like that possibility. Not that I want shit to go down, but to play that role if it does, like, I love that. That draws me for mm. calls me for yeah. yeah, that's, what am I thinking now? Well, I'm actually wondering about something that, that came up when we last spoke in London, and I'm wondering if mm. I can tie this in a little bit. So just the idea came up actually around this idea of the spiritual class system. Mm. which I found very interesting and we didn't get to unpack it really. I mean, I guess perhaps the shorthand that perhaps you outlined to me was that like, you know, you've got the elite who have access to the, the top tier gurus and personal development coaches and actually have like a real deep integrated embodied spirituality. And then you perhaps have the spiritual middle class who read, Eckhart Tolle and a couple of those other kind of bestseller spiritual geezers. <laughs> and then you've got what you might call astrology, stones, crystals mm -hmm. down. Fuck it, I'll say down at the bottom and piss people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I'm thinking is that does seem to suggest that they're if in a time of crisis people did stand up and all of a sudden there were more people to follow, then there actually might be a degree to which that there's, there's I'm going to say a market for it, but that just shows again, being trapped within mm. Mm. The, a market for what? I didn't, I didn't follow. For, for more on the ground, spiritual guidance. Mm. You know, I think there is a degree to which, I think we're still caught within like people will be happy having a personal spirituality as long as they do it themselves and maybe read a few books on it, mm. but don't have that much integration with like a community. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think um, for me, part of how I imagine the work that I'm doing at the Monastic Academy is as an attempt to, uh, what's, what's the equivalent, like kind of restructure the distribution of these very powerful and elite teachings to make them more available for all, as whoever can you know, bring themselves to come to a place like that, right? Because um, you're right, it's like very hard. There's many different reasons why we might not encounter the really good, good stuff. And there's really, really good, good stuff, you know, out there. Um, and yeah, I think there is a deep hunger for this and there's a tremendous amount of noise in the information ecology around the whole genre of things we might call self-development or wisdom teachings that make it extremely difficult to navigate unless you dedicate your, unless you get really lucky and you know somebody who has already navigated it, or you dedicate a tremendous amount of time and are also typically quite well educated, but you also need all that free time, right, to, to navigate it. Um, and so it's quite broken right now. And partly it's because of the incentive structures of capitalism that kind of distort the way that these flows of information happen. But um, yeah, I'm very passionate about 
repackaging and redistributing these teachings in a way that is clearly trustworthy. And, you know, that's a passion of mine. I'm not sure I do a very good job or I have done a very good job, but it's something I, I would love to see more of in the world. Mm. It's funny, like, we live in a world that tends towards, I think, decentralization and distribution of more or less everything, which has yeah. its perks, but also its drawbacks. Some of the drawbacks being the fact that I think to take one example, say yoga, so anyone can do yoga for three years and then become a yoga teacher and then mm-hmm. pronounce that they're a yogi and have students and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the one hand, I mean, perhaps, yeah. And if they're teaching, physical movement in a way that gives people a, <laughs> improves yeah. people's physical health, then it, it's great. Yeah. But yeah. there's a degree to which like, like I could easily go to 10 sessions with someone who's done three years of yoga and then walk around saying like, now I'm a yogi. And <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, and I understand or not like even say I understand, but even not even have a conception of that there is a depth to the tradition. <sighs> so true. Yeah. And it's, it's the kind of, there's the tricky thing about the decentralization of culture is that loss of the access to the depth and the real wisdom that can only accrue over time. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that very strongly. It's something as well that I kind of realized through hanging out with with Alexander and his networks. Mm. It's like this idea that because we live in a world where so much is instantly available online through Wikipedia and stuff, there's an ability to get it into your head that everything is available online, Mm. which is total bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. There's like a light bulb moment. It was like, Oh Mm. fuck, like I've been lied to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And actually that there is, there are increasingly groups of people with knowledge who are like, no, this isn't going public. And I suppose that's always been the case with business perhaps because business is still competing, but even with things like, like traditions, mm. like I've heard Alexander speaking about, like he's in the Zoroastrian networks and they don't mm. want to popularize Zoroastrianism to the public that mm. it might go the same route that certain strands of Buddhism have gone in the West, mm. which is, mm. as we've said, has become, the kind of the hegemonic hegemonic ideology it's like no we don't want that for us mm. there's mm. something there's something valuable about it being behind closed doors and only accessible to to those who are actually driven by something more than a desire for a spiritual paracetamol i sometimes mm. call it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I i love what you're saying i think i Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it took me years of daily relating with somebody, at the, the teacher at the monastery, who was actually deep, who had actually done the work, who had actually transformed himself in a radical way for me to like actually admit to myself how deep this stuff goes, right? And there is this as you say, this kind of debasing of the currency of depth that's happening 
in our culture right now and in the spiritual culture, it's, it's very alarming. It's very alarming to me. And uh, because I, I, it's kind of like, it's similar to when we um, monoculture a forest or something like that. We don't actually even know what we're losing. And part of me is quite scared that in a generation, we could lose so much of the depth of the teachings that has perhaps survived through human to human lineage and transmission for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, because it, you know, again, if we think about the incentives, like it's hard to get to that realization that you've had. It's, there's so much working against us to see that, to kind of admit our own arrogance and open up to a kind of, the kind of humility I feel that you're pointing to. And why would we do that when there's a 10 week course that promises that 80% of people who take it get enlightened? Or why would we do that when, you know, talk is cheap? And that's something, I don't know, it's scary to me. But when you're in it, when you're in an actual, when you're in a, when you're with somebody, when you're with somebody who's really different, you, you know, you know, they're different. Yeah, you feel it. You, if you, you admit it to yourself, you're like, hmm, they're not like that yoga teacher that I take yoga from. What's going on here? Like, what's mm -hmm. actually happening here? You know, so there's that kind of like, you can follow your nose. There's something there. And I, I hope that that's enough. You know, I hope that people, we collectively have enough integrity to follow that and acknowledge that and admit that uh, to, to keep this stuff going. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's a very that's a very real fear for me. I'm glad that you named it. It's nice that you brought up that idea of humility and what I'm thinking in connection with that is is the fact that I think we the system structure that we now live on is is actually set up for the complete opposite of that really from a young age it's like tests and test scores and this is me thinking Zach Stein's work again now but it's like everyone has a badge to their name signifying their their competencies with a view to putting you supposedly in the position where you will be able to do the maximum amount of good based on what you're qualified to do <laughs> and then there's also within that the incentive structure for schools to show off about how high performing their kids are for universities to do the same for companies to want to show everybody that we've got the most high performing this team. We've got the best new CEO we've got. I mean, LinkedIn, especially, I don't spend much time on LinkedIn, that social network. I think it's like of all the most, all the social networks, I find it the most gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's so wired into wanting to, to telegraph our successes. And I still, I still have to work on this every day. I do it all the time. I'm still thinking like, Oh, how am I better? How am I one level up from that person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rather than thinking there's a real shift to what can I learn from this situation? Mm -hmm. What can be learned from the humblest of situations? And <sighs> I, yeah, I really resonate with that. I, I, 
I have been on like probably like a 10 year journey. It's still ongoing of just over and over again, realizing how arrogant I am. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, good. I finally, finally, I freed myself from this arrogance. And I'm like, oh, wait. (laughs) Oh, wait, there's more. (laughs) And I, yeah, I'm so, again, so grateful that there, I've been able to associate with folks who are patient enough and to put up with my arrogance and my stubbornness and, and let me slowly un- unwind it because as you say, like, oh my God, it's so much better to be living in a world where everybody has something to teach you than in a world in which you have something to teach everybody. Mm. Like to have the curiosity of a child and be, to have not that just ossified expert being the one who leads your life oh (laughs) yeah i feel you man it's 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 and and it's it's true i mean and we can and like for me like i'm at a point where i don't take it so personally like you say it's it's there's a way in which the incentive structure of our larger system sort of constellates that in us like there's so much of a drive to that and i think social media uh, kind of hyper intensifies that tendency and normalizes it right because you have to find your your niche you have to find your product market fit and when you think about that ethos along with like personal branding it's like you gotta find your niche and defend it (laughs) it's not a very humble that is not a very humble move that's not a humble orientation Mm. it's it's yeah it's so much of what is needed is antithetical to the deep design of the what the world is inviting from us and uh yeah i I feel you feel you very strongly on that it's funny i'm thinking of a conversation i was having with someone two days ago just someone i'd met when i was out in the pub and she was talking about how she had a job i think she was working in consulting but she wanted to go into the not-for-profit sector Mm. saying well I'm staying where I am for now because I want to make sure that I can turn myself into an asset. So when I go into that sector, I can do good work there. And I was like, Mm. okay, I get your point, but it's interesting the language you've used there. Mm. And I pulled her up on it and I think it freaked her out a bit because Mm. I mean, she, what she said, like, I'm not used to thinking about things from this. What would you call it? Um, I guess like philosophical inquiry perspective. Because to me, I was thinking, well, that just is the, that betrays this this fact that we're trained to think of ourselves as like a commodity yeah i'm an asset to this organization like i'm something that can be tacked on with a certain degree of of skills and thus i'll be able to do something and that's completely true but it's just partial like i think yeah I think, I mean, I say to people, like, if you feel like you want to go and do something like working in the not-for-profit sector, then go and do it. And don't yeah. sit here thinking, well, I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to wait. Because yeah. you get in there and just start learning anyway. Yeah. yeah. That is, I mean, I think that's probably a, something that I'm glad I learned young was just throw yourself in and start doing yeah totally yeah yeah i mean that's i think 
I mean, it's hard, hard to say, but like one of the, one of the most important trainings at the monastic Academy is just that, right. It's like, and, and I think this might be actually why the discomfort is so necessary, right? I, because I know for me, a lot of the reasons why I, in the past, wouldn't do the thing that my heart was calling me to do, the reason I wouldn't do them was because I was afraid of what life would be like if I did, like that I would lose some of what I have come to value and depend on, whether it's like, my apartment or my particular relationships or access to what I consider to be healthy food or whatever. Um, and once we live in a place and we subject ourselves to enough discomforts, and I think that the Stoics also have practices like this where they spend periods of time just like wearing a hair shirt and like not, you know, doing anything for fun. Like even, so I think there's like the, what are the, the dopamine fasts are now very popular in Silicon Valley, but that you sort of like realize that you're fine. Like you can eat what you think is not great food. You can like have a worse apartment. You can figure it out. If you're actually listening to this conversation that we're having right now, you are in the, scope of the planet one of the most privileged people alive right and like you the the wiggle room like how how or maybe another way to put it is like if you're making an assessment and deciding what to do and you have on the one hand the possibility of discomfort or that i might hurt how i see myself and my identity and my self view on the other hand you have that which you, your heart knows it needs to do, that which you feel like most called to do when you're most honest with yourself. Like how do you increase the weight of that? Like make that be much, have a much more powerful pull on you and decrease the weight that your self view and your desires for comfort have on you. And mm. uh, uh, that seems like an endlessly good, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 you know, choice to make is, is anything that makes that heavier and the other lighter. Um, and yeah, it's, it's easy. It's easy to be fooled into thinking that we ought to wait and then our life becomes waiting. This is cool. I think I can loop us back down to where we started now talking oh, about systems because yeah. I think, well, I think, one of the insights of studying systems is systems sometimes have a tendency towards just homeostasis and staying mm. in the same way of doing things, not because it's necessarily the best way of doing it, because it's, but because it's the most energetically efficient way of doing things. Mm. And that seems to be exactly what happens when you're in that position of knowing you want to go over here, but you're here and it's comfortable here. Yeah. Because yeah. going over here means, as you said, maybe it means sacrificing the apartment or the friendship groups or the relationship or the job with the cushy salary or any number of things. And although that sacrifice will actually open up something up here. And I think that can be felt. There's also just so much that just goes, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's exactly the same thing that plays out on the global scale. When we say see global warming, 
Mm. It's like, well, if we could just cut down totally, masses, yes, you know, like wouldn't solve everything, but if we could actually all just pay lip service to the things that we think we should do, mm. just, everybody just like I don't know, stop buying plastic because they could, or at least mm -hmm. massively cut down on plastic, mm -hmm. but it's convenient, and that's the thing, mm -hmm. and that's sometimes why I get a bit wound up with say the protest movements around this stuff because you mm. can go and shout about it and then go back into just the same the same cycle of life and the thing is it's not even individuals fault because the systems themselves are again they're set up that way the systems are hard to change you have to go to work which means you have to get to work which means you have to consume energy to get to work and mm. the most efficient way to mm. do that is probably to use a petrol guzzling machine mm. Mm. but again i guess this is personal transformation right why i think it can be so key for this system level change because if on that micro level you can break the system and go there then that is that is presumably a skill that can be learned and the next time you want to break out of there and go there it's two percent easier yes and yes. i mean now i'm starting to think of this reminds me of jordan greenhall right about mm. like I don't know if he's spoken about it. He must have done explicitly. That's why I'm thinking about it. But like learning to learn or learning to get better at learning, learning that cycle. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that I think we're hitting upon one of the fundamental ways of looking at what this possible form of education that I want to create uh, should do. Right. Where it, dampens and uninstalls that which keeps us in this homeostatic relationship with the larger system and amplifies, increases the, the courage, the call of the world and our heart to become that which we must be in order to step forth as heroes of our time. Right? And so whatever we can do to, to amplify that and downregulate the other, like that seems like a simple version of, of what I'm, I'm wanting. Uh, and I remember when I had my first conversation with the teacher at the Monastic Academy, his name is Soryu Foral. And I, he talked to me about what the vision for the organization was. And part of it was that we could create a mutually reinforcing feedback loop between uh, wisdom, love, and power, right? And so, the idea here would be that somehow those who are wise and loving would also get power in our world and in our system. And part of that is, a, is a part of power is gathering resources, right? Getting resources. And specifically in our world today, that means mostly money, money and attention, money. Um, and so, you know, part of the idea was like, okay, what, how do like, what's the business model of such a place? Like, how do we gather resources? And I said to him, I remember on our first call, I said, uh, well, like, what if um, there's no way to get resources without compromising your integrity? And he said, if the world is not willing, uh, if, if the world is not willing to give me what I need to live my vow, then I'll just sit down and die. Right, that kind of uncompromising integrity, like totally dedicated to what he knew was right, totally unwilling to just like give it an inch and then perhaps give it a mile later. That was 
I don't know if it's always pragmatically, like always the best way of looking at things, but it really called to my, my heart and really like inspired me. And I just so appreciate that um, capacity. And, and it just seems like from where I'm sitting that that, that capacity, whatever that is, if it's courage, integrity, that's what we need more of in, in, in this world going forward. I think there's something really beautiful about the idea of holding your ground on something and actually like digging in and saying, no, this is my line. I think, you know, I wonder if it speaks to, to us as men in particular, like warriors who once upon a time would have mm. been called to fight mm. and to defend territory. And now I think it's a good thing that we don't have these wars because if we had big scale wars now, we'd just annihilate ourselves. But that, that exists within us still, that will to, to defend and to, to be willing to sacrifice for something. And it doesn't just have to be men, really. I don't have to exclude women from this, but I just wonder if, because men historically have been the warriors, the fighters, maybe because I feel it really speaking when you're speaking now, I was like, yes, I like it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe there'll be chicks listening to this and they'll say, yeah, I want to dig in. And yet we dig in, like we don't have to be exclusive. Mm. The point is on that. Yeah. Digging it, finding that thing that's worth holding to as well. Yes. In yeah. The well, that's the, that's the key, right? Cause you can dig, mm. people dig in all the time. <laughs> But they dig in to protect that which ought not be protected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. It's true, is it? It's like, what, how do we find what is worth fighting over? Yes. What is worth fighting for? What is worth dying for? Right? Mm. What is worth dying for? What would you be willing to stake your life on? And that for me is such like I can even feel as I say that question, like my body kind of like resonates, like I can feel some kind of attunement, some kind of resonance there. Mm. I think for me, there's such a deep desire to give myself to something more than me. And the problem is that so many, so much of the world that is asking us to give ourselves, to kind of sacrifice ourselves, it's for totally bankrupt immoral reasons you know give yourself for the good of the company and no you shouldn't do that <laughs> you shouldn't do that that's a bad trade but there are such things that are worth giving your life to we know that and like it is worth doing whatever it takes to find that and then give yourself completely to it at least that's how i live my life mm. and it strikes me that that itself can be a spiritual path a spiritual discipline <laughs> yeah thomas merton there's a great line what is it? He, it's like a, something he, I think he opens his meditation with this. He says, um, none of me belongs to anyone but you. He's talking to God in this case, his mm. God. But there's something in that, this willingness to give it all away. All right, and that's such a shift from thinking that I belong to me and my purpose is to satisfy those desires that pertain and pop up yeah and i know like we belong to that which is beyond 
And a simple way to just check in with that and really make it obvious, I think, is just to remind yourself that all the little bits of matter in our bodies were there before either of us came into mm. being as consciousnesses and will be there after we die. Mm. And we're kind of on loan from the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I love that there's, um, yes. And it seems from where I'm sitting that it takes a hell of a lot of work to embody that, what you just said, mm. to really embody that. And that's because of all the things we were just talking about, right? There's like, it seems like, again, from where I'm sitting and, um, that, the whole of the world, the whole of the human world that we're participating in, more or less, is attempting to affirm the opposite of that. And I, just, I think it's important that we be clear about the almost like Herculean task of totally leaving that and giving it away. That is very, that is not, that is not easy. Mm. It's not easy. Well, it's so easy to fool ourselves. It's very easy to fool ourselves. I, or I, or let me say this again. Uh, I have fooled myself over and over and over again. I'm a yeah. servant of peace and God now. Guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I tweeted about it or I posted it on my Facebook. You know, it's like no. <laughs> if only it were that easy. I think but I've seen a lot of Facebook posts like that from people I know in spiritual communities and there's there's something sweet about it but also something just like I don't know I don't think you'd have to make a post about it yeah well again you know whenever you're posting something you're participating in the information ecology of the world and you gotta be I think for me I consider all these things to be very very sacred very very important and so I attempt to be very thoughtful and one of the rules that I have for myself is that I will never say anything in a public forum that is not my actual experience. And I try to stay true to that. I don't know if other people have that same uh, principle in terms of how they speak about these things. And that's something that, again, you know, the, the, the teacher saw you, this drills into us. He's like, do not be a hypocrite. Mm. do not be a hypocrite the spiritual like these are the one things that you really should not be a hypocrite about because that's how we debase the the kind of currency of death right everybody's saying oh yes everything's perfect ah i'm a servant of god oh yes really Mm. the only thing i tack on to that is what if like you're trying out ideas yeah there's because I think like often when I'm engaging on Twitter, for example, there's a kind of mm-hmm. speculation, a kind of playful creativity to it. Mm-hmm. But I think, well, I guess what has to come along with that, like I, where, where, like I try to engage as authentically as possible as I can on Twitter, but be like, if I'm saying something and someone wants to criticize it, then let's have a conversation about it rather than being wedded to something so purely that it can't be let go of mm-hmm. mm. yeah i, w- I want to come up with like a, um i thought about this before like some kind of like acronym or meme that essentially means you say it before you say something and it means like this is a provisional frame or way of seeing that i am playing with 
and then you say what you say because then yeah as you say like you don't we don't want to foreclose on that kind of playfulness too um, mm. but i also want to like be a, have us take a stand for like speaking that which is actually true for us and not muddying the waters around that kind of thing. Mm. i want both for sure daniel do you want to wrap up here yeah that's I'm great. starting to really need the toilet, and I think I've been praying <laughs> for an hour and a half, and I, and sure. I really covered some cool territory. Yeah, me too. I really appreciated this. This conversation has been fun to explore. Hello, people, once again, and if you made it this far, well done. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you like what we're doing, then please consider supporting us on YouTube and on your podcast app, sharing the content round and talking to people about it. And also consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash technosocial so we can keep growing the show. Ciao.